something's happening to Dan. It's confusing. It's awkward. <laughs> it's family. Hi, thank you for listening to Dan for Life, a short form interview podcast about 2007's Dan in Real Life, a film in which two-time Academy Award winner Diane Wiest dresses up as Charlie Chaplin. Today, while second chair of the pod, Lauren, is out on assignment, I'm going to go back to basics and conduct a deep analysis of the film's opening 10 minutes. But just like Dan Burns, I can't be expected to carry on alone. So I'd like to welcome to the pod a guest who is an accomplished screenwriter in her own right. You can find her and her annual birthday drafts right on twitter.com at ER0B. And no, that username is not pronounced Air Zerobi, like I thought when I originally started following her. It stands for the wickedly talented one and only Aaron Rose O'Brien. Welcome, Aaron. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. That was a delightful intro. <laughs> what is your history with the film, Dan, in real life, if any history? Uh, I have no history. I recognize the poster. To me, it, it has the design of like a mid-2000s comedy poster where it's the white on the red uh, that plus the very haggard looking Steve Carell just really sits in my head this came out in like 2007 2008 okay maybe around 2009 I was working at a public library and I feel like that was on that was on the shelf <laughs> so yeah I've never seen it I know the poster the poster is iconic the poster is terrifying I think so anyway. He's so sad on that cover. Uh, and the listener at home can't see this, but I'm showing Aaron my lo local library receipt <gasps> for Dan in real life. Oh my goodness. I'm, I'm not holding it up too long because I don't want her to read my library card number <laughs> and cause absolute chaos. Um, So you have not seen the movie. I have not seen the movie. Okay, so right now, this is, I have like four recordings lined up this week, cool. but this is like my the second record. So right now we're like zero and two. I have not passively found another person to talk about this movie with. Sorry. What would you think the plot of the movie is about? Okay. You've seen the first 10 minutes. I saw the first 10 minutes and I was surprised by a lot of things in the first 10 minutes. <laughs> I think, so Dan is a ro uh, relationships columnist, right? Yes, he's a okay. relationship parenting newspaper columnist. Okay. And he's not a single parent because they talk about the mom. Yes. Right? Correct. And I also noticed the mom is in a picture on the youngest girl's nightstand on my second watch. And I was like, mm. It feels like it's just she's rubbing it into Dan. So I love an observant viewer. A single, so he's divorced dad. Um, and I don't know, maybe he finds love for a bigger family or himself. Okay. He is the character, I think, in the first 10 minutes that is the least developed. Mm -hmm. And like, that is what's interesting to me is like, I know the least about Dan. On the other hand, you learn a lot through contact clues that you do see in the first 10 oh, minutes. Oh, absolutely. That are like, a little bit more subtle. Mm -hmm. They kind of like introduce the girls, get in and get out, kind of like, you know what each of their deal is. And like, that is great, actually like great writing. Yeah. But I guess because Dan is the larger character arc, you would kind of like tease it out over the 90 minutes and kind of get to know him a little bit more. Well, actually, let's get into it. Um, I have a couple screen caps here mm -hmm. just to like spark some conversation. So the beginning of Dan in Real Life opens with these wonderful trumpet horns. Oh. The first shot of the movie is just Dan rolling over in bed, staring. He has like magazines all across his bed and we get like a very subtle title card. So I have some thoughts. One, the opening poster is absolutely inspired by that first shot of Dan rolling over. Yes. <laughs> it is like identical mm -hmm. to the point where I'm like, they probably were just like, hey, Steve, 
do you mind coming in for some pickup shots for, <laughs> so we can make the poster? But we're like, can we do it the same way that is present? And the reveal, the pull out, and you see that he is a mess. Yes. And like, that is what the second thing is. And I'm like, great, you're showing, you're not telling. Mm-hmm. He like turns on some lights. We get like an exterior shot of the house. It's still very dark outside. He's a newspaper columnist for the New Jersey Standard. Mm-hmm. And then we get like one of my favorite shots of the movie so is good. him picking up a, a handwritten letter and it's Dear Dan, we're the parents of teenagers. What else is there to say except help? <laughs> help, all caps, <laughs> triple underline, three exclamation points. It's like, yeah, that's what a, that's what a parent writing into a newspaper columnist for advice. Mm-hmm. That's how they would talk, of course. And then we see Dan go through his morning routine. He does laundry, goes into the washing machine, takes it out, and he is Aaron distraught by something he finds in the laundry. Right, which is that he finds his middle daughter's thong, but that is like the yes. garishly two thousands color scheme. Yes, and we see him. He just sighs to himself very loudly. He brings up the stairs a big basket of laundry and he goes to his oldest daughter, Jane, and he just offers it to her just in asking like, is this yours? To which Jane just replies, dad, come on. (laughs) It's not hers. And he's like, of course. Drops off the laundry at his middle daughter, Kara's room. And then we see him go meet his third daughter. And I'm just going to introduce this because you've already kind of brought it up. Mm-hmm. We see Lily, absolute button of a child. <laughs> and we see two pictures of her as a baby and her as like a younger daughter with mm-hmm. the mother that you had mentioned. And I will spoil one thing for the movie okay. um, for you, Aaron. Dan is widowed. Oh, wow. I did not. Okay. I thought it was divorced dad. Then their writing worked on me, baby. Uh-huh. I had no that? idea. <laughs> um, I listened to the audio commentary the first 10 minutes and director Peter Hedges pretty much just said, we really wanted to be very discreet with the mother stuff. We wanted it to be very delicately handled um, because they really don't mention it until I think about 30 minutes into the movie. But you're supposed to get this idea that Lily reminds Dan of the mother. Interesting. This youngest daughter, right? Here. Interesting. Because from the context, I thought it was more like they were divorced and she sides with him because there's a line where she, like later in the 10 minutes, sorry, spoilers. Mm-hmm. Oh, please go. That ahead. she says, You're a good father, but a bad dad. Is that what it is? Yes. I'm like, and he's like, Who told you to say that? Who told you to say that? And he says, Two people, which I think are the sisters, but I, in my head, first time I watched it, it was like the mom told her to say that or oh wow and like that's what the context yeah. of it was I'm like oh my god we're going into like real divorce dad territory <laughs> <laughs> this mom is weaponizing yes. the cutest daughter against yes Dan. oh my god that's exactly what I thought it was and like oh horrible now that you said that I'm like oh that's awful <laughs> oh no but But no, let's actually talk about that moment. They're in the car going up to the family cabin. She says, you're a good father, pause, but sometimes you're a bad dad. And he, his world is shattered Mm -hmm. because he kind of loses his partner, like the daughter he's closest to. Mm -hmm. And he immediately is like, hey, who told you to say that? Was it Jane or Kara? And she's adamant. She's like, I made it up myself. I can make things up myself. I'm in the fourth grade. He's like, who told you to say it? You can tell me. And they're going back and forth. And it's this great little moment where all the daughters put their heads together in the back seat mm-hmm. and they just go she's in the fourth grade and like it's like a great little comedic moment but it's one of the best i have to say that that one line and then there's a line i think it's about driving but i'm like 
It's uh, if you don't let me, I'll never learn. And I wrote down those two lines and I wrote thesis statement dialogue, which is something that like you, I feel like you hear a lot in movies that have this kind of tone. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's almost, uh, you can just sort of like let it go when one or two of them fly by. But Mm -hmm. in my work, which is working with writers and giving them notes and reading a lot of screenplays, I often will be like, stop doing thesis statement dialogue because you're, (laughs) you are telling us and not showing us. We're like, I'm letting yeah. aside for Dan in real life because we have all these visual clues that you mm-hmm. um, learn along the way to piece the story together. Of course, I piece that story wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, this movie does a lot of good showing, but every now and again, the script, it just, it's a little too heavy handed, I'll mm-hmm. say. Spe- mm-hmm. Speaking of, there's this great moment in the kitchen that follows the scene where we have oh the whole God. family. We have Lily eating her cereal, Jane's doing the dishes, Dan's like, we're going to go over the plan. and. Kara immediately enters the scene. She was probably in the kitchen when he said, we're going to go over the plan. But Jane still puts a a button on and she's like, hey, Kara, dad's about to go over the plan. And Dan looks over to Kara and he sees some iconic mid-2000s, like yoga pants that just say, you wish on the butt with like a little star in the middle. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't say anything. He just rolls his eyes and sighs for the second time. This is a very sigh forward movie yeah it's also a very sandwich forward movie the first appearance we see (laughs) he's like he's i'm pretty sure he's making lily's lunch because he's cutting off the um crust crust, which he does do later Mm -hmm. but he he goes over the plan he prefaces the plan by saying i'm gonna go over the plan aaron i'm gonna give you the three beat plan i'm gonna pack the car i'm gonna pick y'all up right after school and then we're gonna drive on through that's an okay plan. I wouldn't call it a plan. Two of those things are things that Dan has to do. That's, that's a, it's not a plan, it's a to-do list. Kara takes objection to this. Yeah. And Dan, he hears Kara go against this. She says the word like only two times. Mm-hmm. He mocks her to her face. She's like, you're destroying my education. He's like, the trip, it makes me like smile to hear you care about your education. And he says, like, in, like, a slightly mocking tone, to which I see, like, yeah, of course you're going to have an antagonistic relationship with your daughter when you're making fun of her speech like that immediately. It's the genre of movie that I would call grown-up movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you don't get them very much. And grown-up movies, I feel like grown-up movies can be multiple things. Grown-up mm-hmm. movies can be about a beleaguered middle-aged man, but they can also be, like, about serious business things like Michael Clayton. I saw it once, I did not like it. I guess that's part of it. Um, the definition of a grown up film. Grown up movies. Also, I guess the Thomas Crown Affair I watched last year, in the past couple yeah, months. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, that feels like a grown up movie. It's about grown ups doing grown up things. Yes. But there's this whole genre of grown up movie that is Dan in real life <laughs> and things like it. And it's about people make, having adult problems with adult decisions. <sighs> And they're tired. And, you know, maybe they'll throw in a joke about saying, like, like it's being just, like, don't you hate it when that happens, people God. over 40? <laughs> oh, my goodness. And there's a line of dialogue at the end of this scene that the subtitles don't even pick up fully. Lily, like, when they're explaining why they have to go on the trip, Lily, who was in the fourth grade around nine, ten years old, says the line, we gotta help grandma and grandpa close up the house. I don't know what that means. I think it means for sale, but I will spoil for you, Aaron. At no point in the film do they prepare that house to go onto the market. So it's just a very strange little line left hanging there. How grown up. 
oh my god breakfast is kind of interrupted by a young man marty barasco who shows up to dan's door he opens his newspaper on his step pulls up to the column so that when dan opens the door he like comments like three different articles for dan he's like last friday's column really helped me understand my parents yeah this was okay do we think he's bullshitting or do we think he actually is a fan of dance because like at first i was like wow why is this kid such a huge dan fan dan Dan irl fan (laughs) but then now that you say he picks it up and he looks at it which i didn't notice he was doing even though i watched it three times sure i did not realize he was maybe trying to get on dan's good side I think it's more like that where he he obviously he wants to date Kara. Yeah. I don't know. If I were a parent, I don't think getting on my good side would be to open up my um newspaper and then he hands it to Dan with like the paper wet paper bag beside it, which is, it, I don't know. I just find it to be a weird move. The girls are almost late for the school bus following that. Right. And I want you to talk about um the sandwich heaviness of this film a little bit. <laughs> Oh, goodness. This is the second, like, close-up shot of Dan making sandwiches that we get, and we're maybe about, like, four minutes in. <laughs> yes, we are. Look at, wait, look at that. Uh, there's, like, a smiley oh, on one of them. Okay. I think that's very I need you cute. to understand these sandwiches. He has three sandwiches side by side. Top layer of the sandwich, peanut butter mm-hmm. on all three. Chunky. Chunky peanut butter. First sandwich, nanners and peanut butter. Second sandwich, honey. But he does a smiley face with a straight line mouth. The third one is jelly. I'm going to go ahead and say Jane is bananas and peanut butter. Kara is honey and peanut butter with Lily being a PB&J because that's the sandwich he ends up cutting the crust off of. Yeah, that makes sense. It's such a long shot of sandwiches. It is the second shot of him making sandwiches that we get in, may I repeat, four minutes. (laughs) There's more screen time in this film devoted to sandwich making than pancake making. And that's all I'm going to say going forward okay zero pancakes (laughs) not saying zero pancakes made maybe the dvd title hints it too much i don't know dan packs up the car he gets a very interesting phone call from a man named jordy and then he goes to pick up jane from school and she is very excited she's like can i drive no she cannot drive dan will not let her we get in like a little smash cut but we get one of my favorite lines of the film or favorite like scene Mm -hmm. uh, like series of lines going forward which is lily coming in from the back seat saying dad's gonna be syndicated being very excited that his newspaper column is gonna be open to an outside audience which always just rings in my mind to a line halfway through the film that i'm gonna play for you a small little clip And you know, syndication is everything for a columnist. (laughs) Yes, that's Diane Weiss announcing to a family, stop playing football. Steve Carell's character got a phone call. And then John Mahoney's just like, syndication, it's everything for a columnist. (laughs) To which Lily agrees, a fourth grader. (laughs) I love it. Aaron, it's an absolutely insane bonkers movie. What world is this existing? It's incredible. <laughs> okay, so he picks up Jane. They drive to a coffee shop called Yum's. Which is hilarious, by the way. Like, I wrote it down. I wrote down <laughs> Yum's question mark. Dan gets out of the car. He's walking on the exterior of the coffee shop. He sees Kara and Marty about to make out in the window. And how does he interrupt them, if you recall? He doesn't, does he bang on the glass, right? No, um, no, this isn't a gotcha moment. That's the, gotcha. That's to come, yeah. Oh boy. Listener, for the record, Aaron just got me. Dan bangs on the windows because, I don't know if you knew this, but I learned it from the audio commentary. 
Peter Hedges, the director and co-writer of this film, one of his favorite movies is The Graduate. And so this is a small little nod to that. That's nice. Kara comes into the car. He says, I'm grounding you for life. She gets upset. He says, fine, I'm just going to ground you for a month. A month? But that's worse than forever. I hate that line. I hate it. Again, this is a, a movie written for the parent. Then lets it slip to Dan that she is in love with Marty Barasco. And she knew it, and it only took her three days. And this is a line Dan takes particular objection with, saying, you can't just know in three days. And they have a back and forth, and it ends with Kara in tears. Jane gets in the car, and now all three daughters are in the back seat, leaving the passenger seat of the car empty. It's called metaphors. Ooh. Now that I know what you told me at the top of this, that he's he's widowed, that's a heavy, mm-hmm. that's really heavy hand. <laughs> Driving montage. Makes a gas price joke. He makes a great gas price joke. Once again, for the parents. God, he's barely grimacing at the gas prices to make Lily come out of the car and go, Dad, what's wrong? And it's like, have you seen your father? He's never smiled yet. And he's (laughs) not even frowning right now, but sure, have like, have objection with this. He's staring at the gas prices and he's like, oh, there goes Jane's college fund. There goes Kara's. But Dad, what about mine? No, you're good. Up. There it went. Oh my God. I have a question. Go for it. Like you said, he's barely grimacing. I watched mm-hmm. this three times about yeah. does Steve Carell, who I do like and admire, does he act at all in this? Okay, he does a lot later. I will say that him and director Peter Hedges agreed that they didn't want any big laughs or large jokes in the first 10 minutes. Gotcha. No, okay. All right. Well, that makes me respect it a little bit more because I'm like, he's playing this too straight. Like, not that I expect him to be goofy because he's a very good dramatic actor, but I was like, he's playing this very, not even realistic, just like, I think I used the word beleaguered before, like, just like, like beleaguered man. And I'm like, where is this? There's almost no expression in what he does at all, which is why it was very (laughs) surprising to me. Jane's in the driver's seat, smiling, showing I can drive. Because oh as what we know about Jane is that her driving instructor says that she's highway ready. But Dan's not into that. If I let you drive, you could die, which is going against this other heavy-handed um, theme, Aaron. Dan's trying to protect his daughters. He oh. doesn't want Kara to go into love because she might get hurt. He doesn't want Jane to go on the highway because she could die. And Lily's not a written character in this. Damn. Okay. So Dan's shame. Um... We get a nice little song over some beautiful highway establishing shots. The song is To Be Surprised by Sandra Lerka, songwriter that composed all the original songs for the movie. This particular song, actually very interesting. Sandra actually wrote that song on set. So for them to use it in this opening shot is very cool. And the last line of the film is the title of the song, which is To Be Surprised. I like that. The music is very cute. It's very Parisian, it seems. Like if you would like, which is why when you said Norwe- Norwegian, correct, right? I was like, oh, interesting. <laughs> They're driving on the highway. Lily and Kara fall asleep on Jane, which I find really cute. Um, it's, it's kind of unspoken in the movie, but Jane's kind of like the surrogate mother figure for these daughters. It's the moment we talked about. You're a good father, but sometimes you're a bad dad. And all daughters end up going against Dan because he kind of loses his confidant in Lily a little bit. They pull up to the house at night. 
And I, I will let you know the opening um, lines of the scene that follows this, which is John Mahoney saying, how are you doing, Dan? And Dan's like, I think my daughters are mad at me. To which John Mahoney, Aaron says, it just means you're doing something right. <laughs> oh, boy. Did you hear that, parents? Oh, that's thesis statement dialogue. What's up, baby? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And also grown-up movie dialogue. That's a Michael Clayton-ass line if I ever heard one. Yeah, sure. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> there are different types of grown-up movies. Yes, there's not just Dan in real life and Michael Clayton. There's also Sully. I will say that there are four deleted scenes from this opening section. I would love to hear about it. At the opening scene where he opens the door to Marty, he closes the door on him. In the deleted scene, he immediately turns around, does like a come hither motion with his finger. Lily walks up and he just looks at her and he says, stop growing. <gasps> that is brutal. <laughs> that is that so is mean. brutal. <laughs> it probably worked in the script and then when you filmed it and put it in the editing, they're like, oh boy, we don't want to make Dan the enemy yet. So we'll get there. We have another scene, which is him actually picking up Lily from elementary school. And they're walking down the hall hand in hand. Lily mm -hmm. kind of sees her teacher, who is played by the casting director of the film. And she's like, hey, why don't you wave hi to her? Like trying to set her dad up with her teacher, which is a like a cute child concept of like, oh, these two adult figures in my life, they should be together because they're the two nice adults I know. Mm -hmm. Can I ask if the casting director is anybody that is interesting? It's not Allison Jones. Oh, damn it. Okay, that's who I was hoping because I'm like, that's how these, that's how all these comedy people get like sad person roles. Exactly. I'll say she's not someone interesting. I will say that the cinematographer for this movie is someone very interesting. Ooh, okay. He recently was a cinematographer on a little film called Joker. Oh, Okay. <laughs> when he picks her up from school, there's an alternate version where he lets her drive and she almost gets in a wreck to which she's like at a stop sign and Dan's like, go, go. And she starts to go and then she, he's like, stop. And she breaks and it's this crazy stressful moment that we've all had learning mm -hmm. to drive. Do you, do you have a license? Do you have a license? I failed my road test twice before I passed it. Um, I have now been driving for over 10 years and I'm, I'm pretty good. I think I can speak for every listener of the pod and say congratulations on like a decade of driving. That's wonderful. And then there's like an extended scene of them in the back seat where he's actually, the film used to have narration of Dan's columns oh. over the opening 10 minutes, which yeah. apparently it didn't work as well. No, I was about to be like, Billy Silver doesn't work that well and can be distracting and heavy-handed i think that like what happened instead is that these first 10 minutes just feel empty in a way like they just feel like and i guess that's doing its job to try to evoke how dan feels but it creates a very strange tone that makes you feel not good to watch i mean like i watched it three times just like fascinated being like I get what they're doing, but like, why does it feel like this? <laughs> kind of clearly establishes, hey, these three daughters are three individual people. This is what they mean to Dan. This is how he is in his life. It's working pretty well enough, but there's obviously something missing. And it's Juliette Binoche. Let's go ahead and go into our first segment of today's pod. This is a little game I like to call Dear Dan. Dear Dan. I'm a single dad, and my teenage daughter, Schmadeline, is an absolute nightmare. <laughs> Maddie, phone! How do I get her to respect and not question my authoritarian boundaries? Madeline, Evangeline, Lily, if you don't answer that phone, I swear to God! 
So in this segment, Erin, you're going to assume the role of Dan Burns, a parental advice columnist for a New Jersey newspaper. And we're just going to be reading a little question submitted to a modern day real life IRL parent advice column. And I would just like to see how you would write back to this parent to solve their concern. So the letter says, Dear Dan, my husband and I are expecting our second child. We have plans since we have been together to have two children. When we told my mother-in-law the happy news, she took me aside and said that if we have another girl, we will just need to try a few more times so that we can produce a boy to carry on the family name. My in-laws are not as interested in our daughter as I would have expected. Sometimes I think if we had a son, they would probably be more involved. My husband is now an only child. His brother died tragically five years ago. I don't really know what to say to my mother-in-law. We love our child, girl or boy. I am not sure if I want more than two children. How should I respond to her? This is wild. I'm just going to go with my gut here, Dan or not, which is like, it's not her business to try to make you have other children. (laughs) And I don't think you, I don't think you owe her an explanation at all. I think you just go about your business and brush the comments off and set the boundary, perhaps if she keeps saying by being like, I don't feel comfortable with you commenting on how many children you want me to bear before Mm -hmm. uh, one of them keeps, retains my last name. Yes, that is the right answer. Thank you. Objectively, that is what it should be. As for Dan, I think he would probably advise the writer, the person writing in, to uh, make a couple sandwiches and think it over. That is in line with the character of Dan Burns. Thank you so much for speaking from his voice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Aaron, I want to go ahead and thank you for being on the pod. Thank you so much for having me. I had a really good time. But if you would ever like to guest again, all you would have to do is watch the 2007 film Dan in Real Life. And you would have to submit to a small quiz to prove that you watched it. Because similar to Dan's grounding of Kara, this pod hates lying. Okay. All right. I am on board. (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. Um, And just like Juliet Binoche and Steve Carell have a scene later in the movie, if you were to come back on the pod. All we'd be is two people finishing a conversation. To which Juliet says. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So thank you again for guesting and listeners. If you want to hear more from Erin, please follow her on Twitter at E-R-0-B. Aaron, please have a great week. Thank you. Dan for life. Thank you so, so much for having me. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's Dan for Life with our lovely guest, Erin. You can find her Twitter handle in our bio, along with second chair of the pod, Lauren. Reminder, she is out on assignment right now, listening to the score and soundtrack for Dan in Real Life. She'll be back in a couple episodes. Be sure to follow her on Twitter at Roadhouse1989. And thank you, Lauren, for doing the artwork for this pod. Thank you to Garrison Turner for creating the theme song. You can find his Instagram in the bio. My cat just jumped up by the mic and is kissing it that's cute and um we have some really exciting episodes coming up oh my god you're so cute right now you're just like snuggling on the mic oh that's not good for audio quality maybe i don't know but um thank you so much for listening to dan for life and guys 
Dan for Life is a podcast that is in a little family of podcasts that I would like to talk about real quick. Please, if you haven't already, check out the Zillennial Canon with Kira and Adam. This week, they are doing a back-to-school special in which they're covering the high school musical quadrilogy. You can check out Back to Back, where Courtney and Zach get absolutely feral and discuss a couple back tracks a week to much delight. And... Sean Patrick O'Brien, next week's guest, he's on the Seltzer cast with Sean Patrick O'Brien, where he and guests sip a seltzer and have a bubbly, delightful chat. And what's this? A new podcast is emerging. Jillian has started the Dad Cast, talking with guests about those films that your father most likely took a nap during. I know Dan for Life is lucky to be in this little pod family, and it's only going to get better from here. If you'd like to follow the pod on Twitter, we're at Dan4Life, L-Y-F-E, and I'm Nick. You can find me around. Please have a great week, everybody. Dan for Life.